Matthew chapter 9, and I'll be reading verses 1 to 8. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? But which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Patrick, thanks very much for reading. And often I would say, uh, do follow along the handouts, but just for today, the handout is totally useless. Uh, so do be grabbing a pen uh, to take some notes as we go along. And here's a question for our lunchtime is, why did God leave his throne in heaven? Why did God leave his throne in heaven? Because if you look at today's weather, uh, there's not much uh, reason to come in. I'm not sure how was your journey in. I cycled in, and let me tell you, it was very grim this morning. And you see, the gloom that we are experiencing today is a picture of our world. Uh, There's sickness, disease, and death. Uh, There's the brokenness in this world. And our instinct often is to be comfortable. Um, It's raining like today. We want to stay home. And work from home. So what would make God come out of heaven, come to this earth, mix with the mess they were in? And what would prompt him to come down? See, in our series, we've been looking at the most unique man in history, Jesus. Um, and over the past few weeks, we've been growing, uh, gaining a portrait of who he is. Uh, we saw in his confrontation with the leper, he's the most compassionate man uh, there was. Uh, but not only is he a man, uh, we saw that he was also divine. Last week, if you were here, we saw that he is the Lord, being able to calm the storm. But not only is he the Lord, he's also the Son of God. And so why did the Son of God choose to leave his Father's side and come to earth? What did he come to do? And the reason why this question really matters for you today is it really helps us as we think about our workplaces. See, there are a number of things that Christians do in their workplace. Uh, Before working at Covent Talks, I was working in banking. And back in Singapore, I was working with this bank called DBS Bank. And there were lots of different Christian groups uh, in DBS. Uh, there was a group that they met every Thursday, I think it was Thursday lunchtime, and they would meet in the meeting room and they would sing worship songs together. Option one. Another group would be praying for the uh, productivity and the prosperity of the bank. I remember speaking to the leader of the group and he would very proudly say back in 2008 during the financial crisis, It was this group that upheld the bank in prayer. And again, there are other groups as well, are very keen to do engagement with other faith groups. And so as we understand what the son has, why he left his father's side, what brought him down to this earth, that will give us real focus as we think about what we are doing in our workplaces. And as I said before, you see, Matthew has been building a portrait of Jesus. There's been a real progression in Matthew chapters 8 to 9. And over the, over the past few weeks, uh, we saw that he's a suffering servant 
in Isaiah 53. Um, that's, uh, we, we see that in Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. Uh, he is the son of man that comes from Daniel 7. Uh, he is the Lord that comes the storm and the son of God. But I think over the past few chapters, Matthew has been holding something back. Um, he's not totally revealed what he has come to do. And Matthew, I think he wants to establish the claims of Jesus, the identity claims of Jesus, before he shows us what he has come to do. And so I think in our passage today, we get the insight of why the Son of God left his Father's side, what he came to do. And so we dive right into the narrative, and we are back on the boat, and he arrives back in his own city. Again, as he travels across the sea, at this time, there isn't any chaotic waters. But as he reaches the sea, he sees four friends coming towards him. And on their shoulders, they're carrying a stretcher. And on the stretcher, on the, sho on the shoulders, it's not someone who is royalty, but a paralyzed man. And when you imagine the moment uh, of that paralyzed man, what would he look like? Uh, his legs shriveled and shrunk disproportionate to the rest of his body. His arms are probably side, uh, sticking by his side of his body. And if not were for the slightest movements of his head, of his eyes being open, you would think that he is a corpse. And so as they approach Jesus, they hear the Son of God speak. Look down to verse 2. And Jesus, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. So I think that's where we get an answer today. Why did the Son of God leave his throne in heaven? Well, he came to forgive people of their sins. And that is the big thing that I want you to take away this lunchtime, that the Son of God came to forgive people of their sins. Well, if you're on a handout and you need to put our first point, the first point is this, it's sins over sickness. Sins over sickness. And what do we make of Jesus' statement? Uh, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. I think there are two possible surprises uh, in what he says. Uh, the first surprise is maybe something like this. Uh, the obvious problem with this man is his paralysis. Uh, yet Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And if that's the case, uh, you can imagine the paralyzed man and his friends are thinking, well, we brought this guy all the way here, but we didn't come for our, his sins to be forgiven. Uh, they may be disappointed hearing what Jesus has to say. But I wonder whether the surprise, well, it's not really that, that Jesus forgives his sins, but what Jesus actually says. I look down and see what he says again. He says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Do you notice the tone in what Jesus is saying? There's a real sense of comfort and assurance. It sounds like this is exactly what the paralyzed man was looking for. And so when he says, take heart, it is not disappointing, but perhaps exactly what he was waiting to hear. You see, it might be the real surprise. It might be that the paralyzed man was searching for exactly this, the forgiveness of his sins despite his obvious sickness. He was yearning for the ease of his conscience. And so when he heard the words, take heart, my son, he felt the weight of sin being lifted. And if that's true, 
why? Uh, why is that the case? I want to suggest the paralyzed man, he has a biblical worldview of sickness and sin. The sickness, death, and sin, they are tightly linked in the Bible. Sometimes they are directly caused, um, they cause one another. So if you live a very promiscuous lifestyle and you sleep around, it's likely to result in STDs. But often, there's, of, there's often no direct causation. Uh, think about Job in the Bible, um, who was a good man, and uh, he was blameless, but yet he suffered a suffering and sickness. But the link between sickness and suffering is more tightly linked than that. Uh, many of you know, uh, in the beginning of the, world, of the Bible, God created the world to be good, and he called it very good. But because of sin, a sin rejection of the God who is good and his word, the result was curses in this world. Suffering, death, and sin entered. And so the root cause is sin, the rejection of God. And the consequence is suffering, sickness, and death. The cause, sin, and the consequence, suffering, and death. And this is paramount to understand that sickness over, sorry, sin over sickness. See, the root cause to the mess in this world, uh, to the natural disasters, the deteriorating world, the sickness that we experience, that you will experience, and death, is because of sin. It is because of sin, because of rejecting the God who gives life. And that's not to say that God, he does not care about the suffering of this world. Uh, we see Jesus over the past few episodes healing people around him. But ultimately, he's here to deal with sin. And so do you realize that your greatest problem is your sin? And it seems like the paralyzed man, he understood that. You see, his shriveled legs in front of him was a present and physical reminder that the world that he lives in is broken. But his shriveled legs was also a spiritual reminder that he is a sinner against God. Well, it might have felt like he drew a short straw, but perhaps he also realized that he was not pure in heart. He also murdered in his heart. He hated everything of this world, and he was never grateful. And maybe he heard one of his friends, uh, one of the guys who were carrying him on the stretcher, told him about the Sermon on the Mount, what he heard Jesus saying. And Jesus said, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. And this paralyzed man, he realized that he himself needed forgiveness. And so when he heard those words, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. He felt the burden being lifted. I mean, what a kindness of Jesus who comes to him and addresses his greatest need, his sin. Sin over sickness. But here's the trouble. Not everyone likes that. And not everyone likes what Jesus is doing. Because at the very moment, what you hear in the background is some whispering. You hear some people saying, blasphemy. I look at verse 3. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. Notice what they say. Uh, they don't say it's outrageous. How can Jesus claim to forgive someone who did not offend him? Uh, they didn't call him a weirdo. They said blasphemy because they know exactly what Jesus is saying. He is claiming to be God himself. 
a blasphemy. That is the accusation against Jesus. And Jesus, he perceives their thoughts, he hears their thoughts, and he brings their thoughts into the open. Look at verse 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? And so that brings us to our second point for today. Opposition against Jesus is evil. Opposition is evil. I mean, it's very strong language. If you think about it, uh, to call it evil. What was the last time that we saw uh, this language of evil come up? It was last week. Uh, two demon-possessed men. Uh, demons going to pigs and falling off the cliff into the sea. And the scribes here, um, they are parallel to the, de- uh, to the demons. Uh, they're called evil. And that perhaps sounds a little harsh. But it is not harsh because Jesus, he knows their thoughts and he intentionally exposes it and brings it out to the open. Uh, why is it evil? Well, two reasons. Uh, firstly, Jesus, he's the son of man. Look to verse 6. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus uses the word son of man, the title son of man to describe himself. And the thing to realize is that the son of man is the most common ref- title that Jesus uses to describe himself. It's not Christ. People call him the Christ. But Jesus often refers himself as the son of man. Uh, why? Some of you know that son of man comes right off Daniel 7. And the most common uh, understanding of the son of man, he is the person, he is a man, he's the son of man, who receives rule and authority from God to rule over the nations. But what's perhaps less familiar about Daniel 7 is that he is to get the worship of the people. And the word worship is really significant uh, in Daniel because whenever a a man tries to claim the worship of people, um, he is punished by God. I think about Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel who was trying to gain the worship of the people. And as a result, he was turned into a beast. Yet this son of man in Daniel chapter 7, uh, he obtains the worship of the people. The worship of the people, it's only a thing, only reserved for God. And so the son of man, it's an Old Testament reference of this strange, unique figure who was straddled both a human category and also a divine category. And so Jesus calls himself the son of man. And how does it prove it? Secondly, he proves that he is the son of man. Look to verse 5. For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. To Jesus, he proves that he is the Son of Man. Which is easier to say, I guess it's easier to say your sins are forgiven uh, because you can't really prove it. And so he proves it by healing the man. And it's the perfect miracle to prove his point. It's not just because it's miraculous. Uh, For example, um, if you ask me, am I good at, say, coding? And I say, I can heal a man. It's not just because it's miraculous. Hence, I can do uh, this this act. Uh, But um, healing a paralyzed man is exactly proof that he's the son of man. So he comes back to this biblical worldview of sickness and sin. Remember, the cause is sin, and the consequence 
as sickness and death. And paralysis, well, it is a picture of death as the man is lying there, immovable, unable to move. And so by able, being able to deal with the consequences of his sickness, he proves that he is able to deal with the cause, the forgiveness of sins. And so as Jesus heals the man, uh, his shriveled legs gain strength, he picks up his bed and walk. Uh, the people there, they saw it and they were afraid and they glorified God. So Jesus, the son of man, and he proves it by healing this man. And so it is evil. It is evil to oppose his work, to oppose the very reason the son of God came out of his throne uh, to come to earth to do. To oppose him is evil. And so why did the Son of God leave his throne? What did he come to do? It is Christianity 101. He came to forgive our sins. You see, Matthew has been holding this information back before. I flip the page to chapter 8, verse 17. And Matthew here, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. Let me read it for you. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our disease. It's funny, in chapter 8, he only talks about illnesses and disease. But what is significant here is showing that as he heals people, it costs him. He takes on our illnesses. He bears our disease. But Isaiah 53 says more. It says not just illnesses, but also our sins. You know the verse, he was pierced for transgressions. He was crushed for iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And so not only does he take on our illnesses and disease, he takes on our sin on himself. And the death he died, he died for us. And that is why the Son of God left his throne, to come down to pay the penalty for us. And of course he did, because his name is Jesus, which means God saves. And so the angel said, she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And so that is the world's greatest need. Something that we may know, but often we fail to feel. Not the crisis that our world is in, not sickness and illness, but forgiveness. Forgiveness is the world's greatest need. A friend of mine named Elliot, at the age of 25, he passed away with a rare cancer about three or four years ago. And here is what he said. I have tasted poison, and I really don't want my friends and family to taste it for eternity. I would rather have my friends listen to the gospel and make a decision to accept Jesus in their lives than for my cancer to be healed. I do see what my friend Elliot is saying. I do see what the paralyzed man is saying. The greatest need is forgiveness. That is the greatest need that the world needs. So that's what we are meant to do in the workplace. Not to sing worship songs, not to pray for productivity and prosperity of the company, not primarily to engage with other faith groups. The need is to hold Jesus out and the forgiveness of sins. And it's all the more urgent with the lack of forgiveness in our world today. Because forgiveness it is at a premium in our society today. So much of our lives are recorded 
and stored online. Whenever things come to the surface, uh, people often are canceled quickly and at work. If you make one small mistake, it may be the end of your career. See, forgiveness is at a premium today. And so we need to hold out this forgiveness. And a final thought, I think there's a part of us, in all of us, that is looking for forgiveness. And the encouragement for today is there's no need to look elsewhere. Because if you call yourself a Christian today, uh, Jesus' words is for you. Take heart, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. Take heart, because you are washed clean, you are forgiven, you are cleansed all paid on the cross. So this is exactly why he came. So take heart. Well, then I pray our time together. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Father, we praise you that your son left the comfort of your right hand and he came down to die on the cross for our behalf. We praise you for this great privilege that we are forgiven for our sins. And we ask that we will never lose the joy and the, uh, the experience of peace by being forgiven by him. So please, will you help us to hold this out, uh, this news of forgiveness to the world? And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.